One of the weaknesses of having only one preacher in the pulpit is that she really is free to ignore the things from the lectionary she doesn't like. And when that preacher is me, that's almost the entire Gospel of John. (laughs) Nothing personal. He just goes on and on. Maybe you've noticed. And then last week, you know, I knew Ernie was going to step in while I went on vacation, and I thought, he's going to tackle this John stuff for me. He's noticed that I was clutching to the stories of David. Ernie saw that I was so desperate that I even preached on Ephesians. (laughs) He's going to talk about bread with them. (laughs) No dice. (laughs) So, all right. This is the last week before we get to the back to the good stuff in Mark. Let's talk about bread. If you were a Christian in the first or second century, one of the insults that might have been hurled your way was the word theophage. Theophage is a Greek term, literally means God-eater. It was a term used by the Romans to describe the early Christians and their bizarre practices. Linguistically, the term was unmistakably close to anthropophage, a man-eater, cannibal, and it had similar repulsive connotations. Now for us, after 2,000 years of reading from the Gospel of John, Those words are some of the most familiar and beloved words in all of Scripture. It doesn't sound strange to us, to those of us who sing the hymn, I am the bread of life, and weep a little at the chorus and the descant. We don't hear the absurd, like even disgusting nature of Jesus' words. Eat me, he says, without even a hint of sarcasm. Our translation tries to make this more palatable, but it is visceral in the Greek. Take my flesh and blood and chew it up in your mouth. It's not only our translators trying to clean this up a little for us. Early on this feast that we celebrate every week, the Eucharist, it was called. It means Thanksgiving. The Eucharist was a common meal around a common table, and folks got so out of hand in their celebrations that Paul has to write everyone and say, guys, please do not get sloppy drunk when you get together for this feast. But he's Paul, so he says it much more harshly than that. As Christianity spread and eventually began to be worked into the machine of the Roman Empire, the Eucharist became more and more prescribed. Paul's words took a chilling tone upon them over the centuries. Folks started avoiding taking the Eucharist for fear of their unworthiness. Priests became the only ones pure enough to even touch this holy food and drink without desecrating it. By the Middle Ages, it was considered sufficient to gaze upon the host as it was lifted at the end of the Eucharistic prayer. That's all you got. Do you remember uh, in the pandemic when people started talking about spiritual communion? Do you remember this? Where you could think real hard about the bread that was sanctified but not actually take it and that it would count for something? Well, That's where it comes from, uh, from from this practice, this very ancient practice. 
Screens were even put up in churches to block the laity's unworthy eyes. For those of you who have been to cathedrals and churches in Europe, you would have seen plenty of these, right? Screens put up. And that is where sanctus bells come from, by the way. They would ring them so that the masses would know when to bow because they were not allowed to see what was happening. The people would occasionally receive the bread, but even then, one must receive baby bird style is what I call it, head up, tongue out, like keep your nasty, ordinary, unconsecrated hands off of the sacred host. This continued in the Catholic Church for 400 years, till the 1960s. Fear of uncleanliness eventually evolved into instruction on not even allowing your teeth to touch the bread because, I don't know, I mean, teeth are, uh, tongues are okay, but teeth are a reference. To, to watch the way that this liturgy has evolved in the past 2,000 years is like reading something out of the book of Leviticus. It is amazing the way we let our fears and phobias and status dictate us. The bread itself is a similar story. Transubstantiation the belief that the bread and wine were in fact literally Jesus' actual body and blood, that people were eating flesh and blood that only appeared to be bread and wine, developed over time and was deemed official Catholic doctrine in the 12th, 13th centuries. Among other things, this meant that every crumb and drop of wine had to be minded. Anything gone astray was desecration. This meant that actual loaves of bread, real bread, you could see around a table at your home, was too dangerous to use when considering sacred crumb loss. Enter individual wafers. Now, for centuries, communion wafers were baked by nuns, actually, for the parishes near their convents. Altar bread was their livelihood and their spiritual practice. But in 1943... A company called Kavanaugh entered the communion bread market with a new machine for automated wafer production, producing a patented sealed edge wafer to minimize crumbs. It's a tale familiar to our age, small operations that succumb to the all-powerful efficiency of the capitalist machine. The nuns, for their part, they thought this couldn't happen. Not only was it their only source of income, but prayers and love were kneaded into the wafers they made. Surely no machine could take the place of the human labor of making this holy bread. This wasn't just a product for consumption. But the machine was the selling point for Kavanaugh. Rest assured, they say, these wafers are produced in a fully automated system, and when they reach you in hermetically sealed plastic bags, you'll know they are very holy because they have never been touched by dirty, unworthy human hands. Same song, different verse, isn't it? Clean it up, 
I wonder if you can even notice when fear starts taking over. I've heard that when someone begins exhibiting obsessive-compulsive tendencies, that they are subconsciously coping with an underlying loss of control through a a physical manifestation, right? Like repetitive hand-washing or counting steps or clicks. That sounds true. Our lives are full of the messy and mundane and uncontrollable and shameful things we hide carefully from the world to present ourselves as palatable, as worthy of being here. But our gospel is so different than the way our world runs on the machine. Jesus kicked off this bread of life speech a few weeks ago by taking a boy's loaves of bread and breaking it into enough to feed thousands of people. In fact, when all is said and done, there are baskets and baskets left over, an incredibly inefficient miracle. Each torn off piece of bread passed and torn by their neighbor, people ate this bread who might not have even washed their hands or have been baptized, who were, who were there only because their friends were. Crumbs absolutely everywhere, spilling out of the baskets onto the ground. The dirty and unwashed birds got some too. It seems like Jesus has a radically different value system than the one our anxieties tend to create. This table is not a gleaming vision off into a new world, detached, shining heaven somewhere far from here. It is a vision of your table, in your home, your life, resurrected. There is nothing experienced in this world that isn't brought here. Your hands, your teeth, your troubled relationships, that which you avoid, that which you embrace, your despair, your joy. It's the kingdom coming to earth around a table which becomes every table. It looks like our daily bread and wine imbued with the presence of God. And it absolutely includes our messes, our failures, our brokenness, too. Thank God. It's here where we are meant to have our safely sealed, palatable, hermetic, publicly palatable hearts broken open into the world. Take, eat. Let it be done unto you.